0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land.
1: Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani, old friend of the show. And Sean, you and I haven't talked in a while. I need to get into this with you. We're going to talk some baseball in the lockout. And how are you doing with all this to start off with no baseball? And it looks like it could be a while before we see it.
0: Yeah. I mean, who's doing, who's doing great. You know, there's no baseball. I mean, the first dose of baseball I had was the other night when I had a chance to watch the uh, college classic at Minute Maid, you know, I was watching Texas and LSU go at it in front of almost 25,000 people, which was awesome. And it, you know, it gets you going, but knowing that baseball season, you know, is how far around the corner, I mean, is it going to be May before we get games, early May, late May. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's driving me crazy because God knows I can't watch these rockets play.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It's just guys. Yeah, it's, it's real tough and it just doesn't seem like there's any other way to look at this. This feels like pretty much the owners being greedy. I know Rob Manford got in front of everybody and said, we made all the concessions. We did all this stuff. Well, they kind of should have made all the concessions. The owner's, have done incredibly well. And there hasn't been enough movement as far as the players side. I mean, you look at the, 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 big sticking points and it's the, well, you'd call it the salary cap, the CBT. That to me is egregious that they're not moving it up each year with how the money's going up e- each year and how, you know, they go from 43% more money that the owners are making, but they're only, they've only gone up 16% over the last few years on the CBT and then with the minimum salary they were the worst in all the professional sports and it shouldn't have come to this it shouldn't be this way especially bad because there's so many more guys that are making the league minimum than any of these other sports so it looks especially egregious because of that there's no doubt and the league
0: minimum isn't bad but in retrospect to what other professional leagues are paying their guys um, it's certainly not up to snuff and I think you know players are looking at this and they're they're looking at the amount of games being played. They're looking at what's being asked of them as the game has changed over the course of the last 20 years. They just want a bigger piece of the pie. They want others to have a better chance when they do get that call up. And I understand that players are going to look out for other players. It's definitely not fair in retrospect to what the NBA has done, what the NFL has done. And I'm sure there are some guys that are looking at you know, the major league soccer leagues around the world. Um, especially in this country, um, how their players are treated financially. The one thing that bothers me, and there's a lot of things that bother me with this Major League Baseball and uh, the Players Association being at this impasse, is that there's not any transparency with what the owners are actually saying is happening to them. Because all that we see, Robert, is... Every five to 10 years when a club by some miracle becomes available for sale is that these are all billion to multi, now billion dollar corporations, these baseball clubs. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars and how that has grown. And it's just astronomical, the amount of money that is exchanging hands. And so I, I, I do understand from the player's side, Absolutely. I just wish we had more transparency. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, man, but I mean, I really do think we have far greater transparency with the NFL in particular than we do with Major League Baseball with some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, the other part about this that really frustrates you as a fan is that you've had so much time that this could have been happening so much time you could have had had these conversations over the last couple of years. Because we were in the middle of a pandemic. There was a few months where they weren't doing anything. Nobody could do anything. You could have had Zoom conversations. You could have been working on this. And then the last few months when you hear there's meetings that are going on that are 15 minutes long, I'm like, what, 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 what is that all about? And right. why, why can't you sit in a room and talk to each other and get it worked out? Because guess what? Baseball, you're going to be in trouble pretty soon anyways. I think there's, there was major stuff coming afoot. Because I just don't see how, with the trajectory that they're going, that the fans are going to stay with baseball, with these longer games, with kids now in the last 20 years that can't see the end of a World Series game or the end of a lot of the playoff games until uh, 11 or 12 o'clock at night. You've got four-hour games. You've, you have you have a fan base that is getting – an attention span that's less and less with the kids that are growing up in this and you've got kids. So you're going to be able to see this too, that I I just, I don't understand you, you, you were in trouble in a little way anyways. And the only thing that's bailed out baseball over the last few years is the, the revenue of the internet. And they've gotten lucky with that, but that's going to run out because the the cable deals are going to run out. And these cable systems are going to look and go, Why are we doing this? We're not making the money that we're supposed to because people aren't watching the games anymore.
0: You know, you mentioned a few things there in terms of negotiations and why now? Why wait till now? You know, in in terms of game length, uh, let's go with the negotiating table. I said to myself, almost the exact same thing the other night laying in bed, just thinking about this and not necessarily that they had all that time during the pandemic to figure these things out, but I'm almost of the opinion that why can't you have, I mean, how many player reps are there, by the way, two, two guys, two player reps that are the most vocal at the very least um, during this whole thing. Um, in Miller, and who's uh, who's the other one?
1: Um, well, forget about the players' reps. How about the fact that the commissioner gets in front and and I guess he's the owner's representative out there, but how messed up is it that he gets out in front of the situation and he's laughing? And sure, he, he makes he everything worse. It just, I mean, that looked so bad. And the, 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 the issue with Rob Manfred is he framed that entire press conference. He made it all about he was with the owner's side, and you do not ever get that impression when you watch somebody like Adam Silver get in front of the public. He doesn't make it seem as though I'm with them and not the other person. You're sort He's of, as to. a commissioner, you're supposed to be for the sport, <laughs> and I get it that they're paying your salary, but it is ridiculous to, to go up there and and basically act like you're the representative of the owners in the negotiation. And, and if that was what he was told to do by the owners, how short-sighted and idiotic is that?
0: He's become a puppet, you know, over the years. There's no question about that. It was a terrible look. He's been bad for baseball. He's just absolutely been really bad for baseball from the leaks on how he's wanted to change the game And sad but true, like, some of these are going to come to fruition, it sounds like, whether it be this season, most likely um, for the 2023 season when it comes down to, uh, you know, a pitch clock and larger bases and things like that, which – I. I don't understand the larger bases. I don't know why that needs to be done right now. I don't know why that's a thing. And the robo-umps and all of these things. But wh- what I wanted to get to is, you know, from from what we've heard and seen from guys like Scherzer and Miller and his first name, my gosh, escape, escapes me uh, for a minute, is the negotiating table should always be open. I don't ever understand why these things cannot be discussed during the season. Between player reps, you know, let's not pretend that yes, while there it is a 162 game schedule, you know, a lot of these guys, especially these two, are pitching every fifth day. They're around each other every single day. Conversations are to be had, and sometimes I, I, I think you know when you wait to do this during an off season, where you've got the draft, you've got free agency. And which is supposed to be a really fun and exciting time of year. But every five years, seven years, eight years, whatever it is that the CBA comes up and you have to, you know, really get down to it and have these serious conversations to protect your sport, to enhance your sport, to grow the sport. This is what we get. It's a he said, he said, and I hate with a passion the optics that it has on on longtime fans on your average sport, average baseball fan, the young fans is that this millionaire versus billionaire type of thing. I, 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 I just hate it. It shouldn't be about that. This should not be the lead story during what should be an exciting offseason of free agency and getting ready for spring training. It should be about your sport. And if in some way their sick minds think that, well, hey, at least they're talking about us. No, they're not. No, they're not. I listen to the radio every day. And they're talking about the Texans, the Texans, one of the worst teams and embarrassment in its sport the last three years. Nobody's talking about baseball. I mean, God forbid, you can't even talk about the Rockets and they have some really good young talent on that squad that nobody's even watching right now, but they're talking Texans. Why? Because football is king. Like it or not, what, what the NFL has done In all of the drama and all the inconsistencies and having guests to a commissioner that people despise and think is a big goof that makes $40 million a year some way, somehow, they are king. Baseball will never be that, but they don't have to be the laughing stock either. And that's what it's become. And that's what it is, Robert. Every single time we have to sit down and listen to this, he said, he said, BS. During you know CBA negotiations, at the end of the day, owners are making money hand over fist, and I, I just despise the notion otherwise, because just look at it here in Houston. Do you recall how much it cost to build then Enron Field in two thousand? It was like two hundred and seventy-three million dollars, and like most of that was just to put a retractable roof on the darn thing. Now. Retractable roofs cost almost double $276 million or whatever it was to build Minamate Park. So you can't tell me. And now the Astros are worth a reported, what, $1.7, $1.8 billion? I mean, when we were talking billions of dollars, there was probably three franchises in the sport that I could think of that have even pegged that for. And that's the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the
1: Dodgers. But the thing is, you just said it. The Astros fans built that. Expensive baseball park, and and they're the ones that are getting screwed. I mean, well, the Astros fans, I guess the tourist in Houston or whatever tourist tax that they put on it. But I, I just, I also wanted to, because you brought up the Texans and you brought up the Rockets. What really hurts from a Houston perspective is that we probably have the two worst teams in the NBA and the NFL right now. They're the two worst of their sport. You can debate it but the rockets have the worst record for the second straight year as you and I are speaking. Yeah, good for them. That's what they want. <laughs> as far as the NFL goes, you know, that the Texans might be the m- most poorly run franchise although, you know, they didn't have the worst record this year, but the fact was that this really kills Houston fan because the Astros are having the best run in their history and I really think, Sean, when we look back at this historically, and and I worry about there being a short season from the Astros' perspective because I feel like the Astros are built for a 162-game season, and then everything comes into play when you're doing a shorter season. Now, this expanded playoffs, that it's going to be a part of it, it might not matter. They get in no matter what. But I I kind of think that it could affect this. Bottom line, we we know it might be affecting Lance McCullers' recovery as far as what he has said publicly about that. But the thing that really worries me is between the the COVID and losing that season there, that making that season shorter. I think that kind of affected the Astros because of various factors They they weren't what they were. There was a lot of mental things going on. It could have been because of the the other scandal, but I think part of it was just, it was a weird season because of COVID and it affected them that year. But what the Astros could be doing in this stretch of baseball and and it might not happen because of a, a wide variety of things. I mean, I, I just feel like maybe there's another couple of championships. And remember, the Astros have paid Justin Verlander a ton of money over the last three seasons. And the first season we lost because he got hurt. I don't know if he would have gotten hurt if it wasn't for the pandemic, but also because they came in later, he gets hurt there. We lose him not for one season because of that. We lost him for two seasons. And now we're losing a good portion of this season and who knows i you know what is gonna to mean to to Verlander trying to get back rolling again after not having pitched for two years he's gonna to have to you know start from scratch and it's gonna be maybe in may or june and for him to ramp up as an older guy and you and and the Astros had one of the best pitchers in baseball history pitching for him in the last three years or should have been, but this has all been potentially affected by Between the pandemic and now this.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you bring up a lot of excellent points, especially with Verlander and an elite talent like that. There are so many of those types of guys that are creatures of habit and are almost their bodies have become robotic in a sense in that it knows when it's go time and you need X amount of time to ramp up. I I, I thought the same thing as you uh, during the COVID year. But on a larger scale, I actually thought the COVID year benefited the Astros as well as Dusty Baker and just the optics of what they were coming off of, Um, given that the cheating scandal and everything that broke with Mike Fiers. I I thought if there was ever a time to have to really deal with that, it was during that sort of uh, wave. Because by the time you had fans and the media coverage – Um, That returned somewhat back to normal would be the next season. And the wind would kind of be out of the sails a little bit in terms of that. Uh, But also, too, the players were still going to have to answer questions about that scandal, about cheating and everything like that. But it's far different to have to do so when you're dealing with the worldwide pandemic. But it's also maybe makes it a little bit more palatable when you don't have to do it under the typical pressures that you might with um, it being a shortened season and fans not in the stands and and things like that. So I thought it benefited the team. Um, from an individual standpoint, you know, I can't agree with you more on, on guys like Verley and things like that. It is, its It's got to be a concern this year, given that his body is like, hey, it's go time, but it's kind of not. McCullers, I understand what he said, but before the games were taken away about, what, five, six days ago, Lance McCullers wasn't going to be ready for opening day anyway. So the more time, the better, in my opinion, for a guy like that who has routinely struggled with injury throughout his career. Let's get him right. Let's get the veterans right. And, you know, I, I think Teams like the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the Yankees are probably saying something quite similar to what you suggested and like, hey, let's get this thing going because 162 games is extremely valuable for us. I mean, look at what we've done over the course of the last three, four, five years. I mean, we've got another couple of ships uh, maybe left in us. Fully agree. Um, However, everybody's got to play the same schedule. There are games that have been taken away. That you can't get back at this point in time. That in itself not just hurts ball clubs or players, but it hurts the sport. Because in five years, 10 years, you know, you, you look back on this and it's maybe a blip, not even a blip on the radar screen, Robert, but it is about this year. It's about 2022. And how this affects going into 2023 in the very near future and in the growth of the sport, the optics that that it has now that it's already really struggled
1: with. And it's not just the fact that of a shorter season, I think a shorter season, frankly, isn't the worst thing in the world. I would rather baseball not be as long a season. I think the games become more valuable. That's a whole other topic. And with these rule changes that they've done, I feel like if you're going to do the 12 team playoff, if you're going to expand the playoff, I've always felt like the best thing to do is, is do a split season like we did back in 1981 because of the shorter season and the strike at, at that point or the lockout or whatever it was back in 81 where you had a split season. And the, I think the Astros won one half of the season. They they go into the playoffs against the Dodgers who won the other half of the season. But that's the way looking at this from a bright side is maybe the shorter season makes makes the games a little bit more valuable. And we saw that a little bit with the pandemic season. It's like, oh my God, these games are like, two or three times as valuable. It's very similar to what NFL's big advantage is, is the games are more valuable. And if you look at the 12-team playoff, I I don't like it from a long-term... I'm just curious, like, is there a way that you could do this beyond what what I'm thinking? Because... And by the way, the 12-team playoff, I should say, I don't think it even comes into play this year. So maybe that it it does matter for the Astros as far as that, because not everybody's automatically going to get in, it seems like, with this... With this uh, new format, because I think that does take a year before it comes into effect, but, but how would you improve things as far as uh, making the games more valuable? Is there is there a way to do this? Because you know owners don't want less games, although I find it ironic that I've heard that, oh, the owners like the fact that there's no April because they lose their... Pants in April. Well, if you lose your pants in April, then why don't we make this a shorter season? Because I think everybody's been arguing for that. Everybody's been arguing for a shorter season in baseball because it, it it's more valuable and it makes it to where guys, you know, are a little bit, you know, in better shape to endure the postseason as well.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see numbers on that, though. I've never understood, and I've heard that more over the course of the last two weeks than ever before, at least in a long time, is that owners lose their uh, pants in April. Why? I mean, this is the time of year—opening day, opening week—when you're probably selling more tickets than you will typically sell, just because baseball's back
1: than you would in in May. I, I understand it because I think you see that in opening day. But once you get beyond opening day, we see a lot of these cold weather climates. The attendance goes down because of the because of snow and and bad weather and stuff like that. There fair. And and you might, you might have me there. You might have me there. I,
0: and I get that. I get that. But then to me, like, you're kind of doing it wrong. You know, there's gotta be a way around that. And maybe you have the solution. You, you, maybe you mentioned the solution that all parties would be satisfied with. And by all parties, I mean, players, owners, and fans, because what if we heard more of over the course of the last I don't know, Robert, I feel like it's been a decade plus almost really having done sports talk radio, um, you know, on a nightly basis uh, for so many years. I'm going back to the late 2000s, you know, like 2006, 7, 8, 9 into 2012. The length of game, the season's too long. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's absolutely it. Because wouldn't that fix the competitive issue? Wouldn't that fix the money issue? Wouldn't that fix, um, you know, people's getting bored with the sport? Wouldn't that fix
1: losing money? But it would also help these smaller markets that feel like their games are no longer valuable because they can't compete as much after June or July. Well, you only have to be good for one half of a season for 70 some odd games. It also does something, and I don't know if I've heard this much, but It also does something with getting more interest in baseball because not just with the two halves of the season, but now you can add two trade deadlines. You can do something that the NBA has done masterfully making the trade season and player movement, a bigger thing, because now you can have a trade season about halfway through the first half of the season and then make and make there a deadline there and then do another deadline and halfway through the second half of the season And that also brings into play the fact that these smaller markets, um, you wonder, like, okay, I I don't have to sell off all my good players and start having to think about that in June or July because we've got another shot in in the second half of the season. Um, So I just think there's a lot to that, and I'm just shocked that that isn't part of this new deal. But baseball, as usual to me, they just never think outside of the box, and I can't believe – that we still have to wait a year for the 22nd play clock because that should have been in effect long ago. I can't remember if I told you this, Sean, but we we talked about it on the podcast before, you know, I was watching the 1980 playoffs and there's Steve Carlton throwing the ball every eight seconds and the NLCS, he doesn't care. He's the one of the top three strikeout Kings of all time. He's on the Mount Rushmore of all time baseball starters and he was throwing the ball in eight seconds. You cannot tell me if Steve Carlton can throw the ball in eight seconds, every pitcher can throw the ball in eight seconds. So I don't want to hear about that.
0: Let, let's talk about that, though, a little bit. There wasn't a pitch clock then. What, what, what exactly has changed? Why does it take so long now? And before you answer that, let's consider a few things. You know, pitch clock, Okay yeah I get that I get that pitch clock. you know that would be an effort into one um enhance the flow of the game, lend itself to maybe more excitement within a game right We're not waiting so long before in between things to happen okay yeah um but also two, one of my biggest gripes in in things that I feel like has been neglected over the years when people complain about length of games is the length. Between innings, if you want to go back, you know, 30 to 40 years, say in the era of uh, the guy like Steve Carlton, let's go back even further because, you know, baseball, while it's stayed much the same in many areas and many aspects of its its beauty, really, in my opinion, it has changed a lot over the course of years. Not how people wanted it, but when my grandfather played in the 30s and 40s, in the early 50s, players used to run on and off of the field. I'm not asking guys to like leave their gloves out on the field like they did back in the day. You go <laughs> just fold them up and put them in their back pocket. I'm not looking for all of that. But yeah. there was a sense of urgency. That that was the way the game was taught, sort of expected to be played
1: then. One of the ways you can maybe uh make the between inning shorter is you're going to have to you're going to start seeing that advertising box. And I think it's coming no matter what. So if we're, if it's coming, no matter what, that's the perfect excuse to shorten the commercials. Now, I don't know how well that's going to go over to tell these regional stations to short commercials or whatever, but the way they can make it back is you give them a a box that you see in soccer uh, you see in EPL and all that sort of stuff. That that's the way to do it. But I read an article And I can't remember if I sent you this a couple of years ago, and I've discussed this a little bit on the podcast, but there was an article that compared a 1984 game with a 2014 game. The games were almost identical, pitches, everything. And by far, they showed that the problem was the time between pitches. And it was the time between pitches that, you know, there wasn't a foul ball or a ball wasn't put in play. That was the big issue. It was something like 20 minutes. We've seen the games go up. 30 minutes per game. I'm glad they've done it. It, it, they're, they're, They're going to do this. It's going to come out of this. I talked to a minor league player with the Astros. If somebody hasn't listened to it, go back to last week where I talked to Jonathan Sprinkle and he, he saw a bunch of these rules that they were trying to play with in the minor leagues. He had no problem with the pitch clock. You know, I've heard stuff. Well, the pitchers, they're going to get more injured well i mean they're 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 getting more injured now in the past they weren't, so there's no reason why you can't speed this up, and there's no reason why a pitcher has to go out there and throw ninety you don't get guys out because you throw it harder, you get guys out because you throw it in the right spot you know to me that that was the easy one. What do you think about the shift though that that's a That's one that I'm a little bit less sure about I think it's preposterous. I think it's preposterous.
0: I mean, you're taking a strategy away from the defense. I have never, ever, ever had a problem with the shift. I mean, it's genius. <laughs> Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, there's not a rule. This is the problem when you when you start talking about changing the rules of a game that you'd never really thought to change before, but because there is somebody or a group of people that says, hey – Think about this. What about this? And it catches on, and it works for teams, but it hurts other players and things like that. I mean, it's the most popular thing to kind of hop onto now. Like, I just I don't understand why people have a problem with the shift for years. The top argument, uh, and by the way, the universal DH I love. The top argument for still having pitchers hit in the National League strategy. That's the number one thing people said: strategy. Well, I guarantee you, if you ask those people what type of strategy, they wouldn't be able to tell you. But it was just something that somebody said, and then, oh, yeah, let, let's latch onto that strategy, strategy. No, you know what you had to be strategical about is how you sent that pitcher up there to hit when he doesn't know the difference between the barrel and the knob. Like, he, if, if he even cared about being a good hitter, I could stomach that. And it took me years to come around to this. And now I love the universal DH idea. I'm glad we're going to see it going forward. But people were talking about eliminating strategy with that. No, if you take away the shift, now you're eliminating strategy. You know, now you're almost rewarding unprofessional hitters. You know, if it's Joey Gallo, if it's, there's all kinds of pole hitters in baseball that can't hit the ball to the opposite field or can't hit a ball where it's pitched. Chris Carter, you know, the former Astro. Yeah, he'd hit 40 home runs. Adam Dunn, he'd hit 40 home runs, but he'd hit 200. I mean, they were strictly pole hitters. They
1: couldn't bunt the ball the other way. And here's the the thing that I I like about the shift for the pace of the game is I was hoping, and maybe it just hasn't happened yet, but I was hoping because of the shift, you would get rid of these guys that were trying to hit everything out of the ballpark because what slows the pace down of a game is if you're not putting the ball in play. And if you're trying to swing it as hard as you can every single time, it doesn't work. And I don't want to hear this argument that I can't make a living hitting the ball the other way because you make all the money hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Ted Williams would make a mockery of this. He worked against the shift. He hit 400. You know why... GMs would love you and because you you would lead to winning games is putting the ball in play and getting on base every time. And if they're just going to throw the shift at you, then you just hit the ball the other way and you're on base. You know how you make a bunch of money in baseball. Have a 500 OPS because they refuse to put anybody over on the left side of the infield. I just can't. I don't get this.
0: I was waiting for you to say, just get on base, you know, because we all know, like we've all seen Moneyball, right? Billy being sitting in the conference room or with all the scouts around and they're like, hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? Does he get on base? No. (laughs) Get him out of here. Does he get on base? (laughs) No. Get him out of here. I mean, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. I mean, look, I've heard really successful players. And I've read guys, especially over the course of the last, you know, six months since this has become one of the topics and um, in, in how the game has changed over the years, but in particular how they want the game to change going forward. There's been some Hall of Famers that, you know, would would really argue with us in terms of the hitting approach. But at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know how you can how you can disagree with – what you just put really well at the end of the day, it's about, look, just getting on base and no matter how you do it, that's your job. Your job is to get on base and help your team. And there's a select few even still in today's era of baseball that you really fear can put the ball out of the ballpark at any point in time, no matter what the pitcher, no matter what the pitch is coming, you just fear that guy, that, that kind of, that Mark McGuire, that Barry Bonds, that Sammy Sosa, you know, that level of fear. And as great a home run hitters as we've seen over the years, even guys like Bagwell, he didn't command that kind of fear in guys, but you knew he was a good hitter. Baggy, just as easy as he could put one out of the yard, you know, he could lace a double down the third base line, or hit the power alley or just hit a ball right at the shortstop or the second baseman, and he was going to eat you up and get on anyway, or work a great walk or get hit by a pitch. There were so many facets, you know, to the way that, that great hitters over the course of generations have played this game. And now I feel like it's not just a feeling. I mean, we all know it has become, you know, Powerball. It's become about Powerball. And it's kind of in retrospect to what we called hero ball in the NBA with so many years with James Harden here. That's what it is to me.
1: And by the way, making the game shorter does not fix in a real way, the post issue. And it's pretty simple what you've got to do, because once the post-season comes around in a way, the games are going to become longer anyway, because you've got, more pitchers, you got more pitching changes. It does slow down to a degree. That the, the clock's going to help a little bit, but the biggest problem, Sean, and th- they are not going to talk about this in the collective bargaining agreement. There's nothing that's going to be discussed about this in the lockout. But you cannot continue to have postseason games starting at seven fifteen and seven thirty. Or you, the only way to make it to where kids that are 12 and under that's going to become your future fan base. The only way you can make it to where those kids get to see the end of games, the great endings that we all remember as kids is you've got to start the games earlier. If it's on the West coast, then they're starting at four o'clock or something. Then you're going to have to take the hit there, but you have three fourths of the country are going to benefit greatly from the fact that the games are starting an hour earlier, and, and that's what I think needs to happen. That baseball games have got to start an hour earlier in the postseason, so they're not ending at eleven and twelve o'clock Eastern, and usually later than that on the Eastern time zone. Yeah, to me, the Eastern time zone—if it's the most important part of the country—and you're talking about New York and Boston, they always make it the most important part of the country. Why are they risk losing fans over there, much less in, in St. Louis? Which has got such a great baseball fan base, and some of the other central time zones where it's still terrible. The Astros we're still seeing games in the central time zone end at eleven o'clock at night, eleven thirty at night during the World Series, and even in the playoffs. Look, it's
0: to be expected. Like as you said, with postseason games running longer. I love baseball. You know, I love the sport, I, and I find it fascinating all the time. You know, during the postseason especially the intensity that you watch one of those games with, the game hasn't changed. The game is the game. There's more on the line in those games, which is why we're watching and analyzing every single swing of the bat, every single pitch, every single play at the plate or on a base or in the field. We overanalyze everything, and I love that. What if you watched a regular season game with just half as much intensity as you do, you know, a post game, shortening a game with a pitch clock and fewer pitching changes and taking pitchers away and having a universal DH now, like those types of changes, which I would still consider fairly subtle changes to the sport that can help a little bit, but shortening the season, which I've been against, and I, I, I can't give you a great argument as to why, other than just that, look, Robert, I'm an old soul, and if it's worked for so many years, then why do you have to change it now?
1: But how many, how many games did Babe Ruth play when he hit his home run record? I mean, it wasn't 160 Eight fewer. Were,
0: eight fewer. 154. Yeah. It was a 154-game schedule. You know, and, like, what's eight games? If you went back to 154, like, what are you accomplishing? What are you accomplishing? Like, I feel like for what people really are saying that they want, which is these games to mean so much more in the course of a regular season, you want the damn things cut in half. But then how ridiculous, how absorbent are these contracts now going forward? Could you imagine having to you know, be the capologist, be the GM of these major league ball clubs and having to rework guys' deals and go through that kind of an arbitration going forward. I just don't think that'll ever happen, at least right now. Maybe sometime in the distant future, you know, we get to that. But shortening the season, I don't know if it's from 162 to 154 to 145 to 132. Like, I I don't know, but I do think shortening it, it would be beneficial and you could make the monies right going forward. The draft pick compensation, the contracts, the league minimum. The problem is if you're major league baseball and it's now taking you, I think they're anticipating an $11 billion revenue in 2023. If I'm remembering the information I read the other day correctly, it's been about a nine to $10 billion a year business over the course of the last five to seven years. I believe they forecasted $11 billion far earlier than what Major League Baseball is actually going when when Major League Baseball is actually going to see that, which is anticipated next year. Does that get moved further back now that another stain has kind of been placated on this game now? the cheating scandal with steroids, you know, with the game's heroes, you know, just having been smeared at one point in time over the course of the last, you know, 20 years to now just another one of these CBA negotiations, which has cost fans
1: games. Let me ask you this. I mean, you know, you can probably say for sure that you don't think owners are going to put a kibosh on the whole season cuz at this point we're talking about nickels and dimes i i i don't think it's going to get to the point where they're going to get rid of the whole season so a shorter season you said maybe it helps verlander because of his age and he gets more rest although you know he he had ramped it all the way up you know just a month or two after we saw the video of him you know throwing the ball at 97 miles an hour not long after the season. So he was, re- he was ready to go, but like for a Lance McCullers, like you said, is there other things that you think could help the Astros in the long term? Uh, Carlos Correa, do you feel like this ups the chance that maybe they can keep him for a couple more seasons? Are there things when you look at this from a Houston perspective that this can help Houston and help the Astros maybe win it, win a championship with when all is said and done?
0: You know, it's hard to say with Correa, you know, I mean, you've seen just like everybody else, you know, him hanging out with McCullers and Bregman, you know, on social media, at these various sporting events and things like that. And I was under the opinion that when you have a decision like this to make, if you're Carlos Correa, it's really not that difficult to make that decision. You know, once the season ends, what do you need? A month to really decompress, be away from your teammates, be away from the ball club, go on vacation, be home with your wife, your new kid, and just see life through that lens, you know, a month. What has transpired over the course of the last week and now with no baseball games for the foreseeable future, maybe looking at uh, May at some point in time, how is that going to affect what what his life decision, and that's what it really comes down to, what his life decision is going to be? I, I, I don't know. Things like that, this shouldn't at the very least have anything to do with it because those are life decisions. And this kind of stuff, sad but true, it's the ugly business side of what they're involved with as players. You did mention Justin Verlander in, in terms of you know what this means, and I, I do agree I think you can be f- beneficial for him. The one thing I was going to say is as programmed as guys like that their bodies are in terms of like when to start, when to ramp up, when to shut it down type of thing. If you look at the amount of innings that he's pitched during his brief Astro career, and this is obviously playoffs and these great postseason runs taken into account, go back and look at, you know, his previous four or five years with the Detroit Tigers You know, when he was still winning Cy Young's and, you know, pitching at that elite level there, but not winning ballgames, not going to the postseason, not going deep into the playoffs. It comes down to one thing for me with a guy like that innings pitched. Whatever he does, whatever he does beyond 12, 15 starts this season, he makes major league history. He makes major league history. There's never been a guy to, Undergo Tommy John at that age, come back, and amount to squat for his team. If Justin Verlander gives you half as many of the allotted starts as he would typically get in a major league season and does well, he's made major league history. He's made sports history. And I think if anybody has that in him to do it, it's him. So the extra time is great. It's a huge benefit. But are you going to trot that guy out there and expect him to go seven, eight innings every single start, shorten season, length regular season? Absolutely not. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the Astros handle him this year when he is good to go, because I think it's going to be very different than what we've become accustomed to since he's been here.
1: Good point, and I'm glad uh, we, we have a chance to at least sort of frame things with – Astros glass half full with Lance McCullers and maybe potentially Justin Verlander and it being a help for the, for those two guys. But, uh, always good to catch up with you, Sean. Thanks so much for talking baseball. And hopefully the next time we talk, we'll have some, some better Astros, <laughs> better Astros and stuff to talk about more fun stuff. Anyway,
0: we'll have baseball. The question is, is just how much of it are we going to have?
1: You're listening to Houston sports talk.